Welcome to the Healing Lifestyle Podcast. I'm Jennifer Louise, and I'm here with my fellow rebel compadre, Amanda Lawrence. We are here to help you burn down all of the bullshittery that's keeping you from living a truly holistic, healthy, and spiritual life, what we like to call the healing lifestyle. Each episode, we'll dive into a real conversation, sharing our journeys of healing and spirituality, what worked for us and what didn't, to inspire you to live a healing lifestyle of your own. So today we're talking about perfectionism, and I want to know if you're a perfectionist, Amanda. Yes. Or I should say, soon to be recovering perfectionist. (laughs) I feel like I will always be recovering from being a perfectionist. Like I catch myself still all of the time. I know that I am. Sometimes it gets past me and and I miss it. And sometimes I can see it like, oh no, girl, you have to stop. Like right now, just just stop, just stop, just stop, just walk away. Yeah. It spills over into so many things that I do. It it stops me in my tracks. That's what it causes for me. What about you? How do you experience it? I freeze. If I can't do something to perfection, I just won't do it at all. And so I don't do a lot <laughs> because perfection doesn't exist. And so, right. So it's, well, I think it's subjective because I can see something like I can look at a flower and, and say, this is so perfect. Like, this is just so perfect. And there, there's like spaces for perfect, like there's perfect timing. There's, you know, but all of the, all of those things you have zero control over. I have learned this perfect timing, perfect place, perfect. This she's the perfect person for that. Like it's all um, out of my hands. It's beyond my control, but the things that I do see, you don't do anything. Cause you're like, Oh, I can't do it. Perfect. I will do it anyways. And then suffer over it, struggle and suffer over it. And then maybe let it go, complete it, whatever, Um, or just, or I will abandon it and move on to something else. Well, it's funny because you talk about suffering and it's the same thing, right? I will suffer because I'm not doing it. And I'm thinking to myself, I should be doing this. I can do this. Why aren't I doing this? Right. So like there's, my own suffering in that. And then it's all the guilt and the shame for not doing it and not, you know, not being where I need to be, not taking the steps I need to take all, all of that because of this one thing called perfection. Right. Right. Which is subjective, which is subjective because I've put things out into the world or I have, you know, like whatever I'm not, I'm, you know, from business to home life, food, whatever. Um, and people have comments, you know, which I think I put things out, which I think are imperfect, perfectly imperfect, like not sure how I feel about that one. Um, and I've had people come back to me and say, that was perfect. Oh my God, that was so good. Like just all this praise and I can't receive it because in my mind, that thing was just so imperfect. Like, oh, they must just be, they're just being nice. So I can't receive that. 
So it's, it's really, it affects me quite a bit and it does cause some, some procrastination for me, but I'm always willing to like, you know, I'm always willing to jump into something for me. I've been thinking about this, you know, quite a bit lately. And I think this falls into like having a sanitized life. If everything was perfect, your life would just be sanitized. And I don't want a sanitized life. So that means (laughs) that I have to look at all these things that I think need to be perfect Mm -hmm. and say that there's no such thing, or I don't want a sanitized life, or I'm putting this out there anyways, because this is indicative or, or representative of me as I am right now, whether I'm a mess or not. And be okay with that because chances are, or most likely people aren't even going to know that, right? They're going to see what you did and go, wow, that's fucking cool. Or, you know, so, so perfectionism though, in context to, you know, personal perfectionism, I tend to shame myself over it if it doesn't work out, or if I just can't get to that point where I feel like this is good enough, or I'm, I'm satisfied I'm really satisfied with this. I get to points of satisfaction and then I trip myself up and say, mm, could I do more? And then, then I have to ask myself, who am I doing the more for? Cause I'm already satisfied. And, that, and then when I try to do the more, that's when it really falls apart. Cause I'm not doing it for myself anymore. Can I ask you a question about that? And it's just because I'm curious yeah. In your, in your human design, is that your, uh, is satisfaction? Um, yeah, I'm a generator. So satisfaction okay. is okay. Of the Got self it. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Frustration is my, and, and I'm the same the self. way. Yeah. Right. And I'm a manifesting generator. So I'm the same way. And I find that like my biggest thing in life is frustration, right? I'm so frustrated. I can't, I can't do this right. I can't do this right. This didn't go well, this, right? So I'm always seeking what I'm learning is I'm always seeking that satisfaction. And if, if I don't believe I can do it well, I won't do it. But what I'm finding is kind of in alignment with what you just said is putting myself out there anyway and being satisfied with who I am right now in this moment and not shaming myself for that person. Mm -hmm. So I can, I can feel a lot of what, you know, you're talking about. Yeah. I hate that it stops me in my tracks. And then I hate that I shame myself over it because I will, take that shame to like the 10th degree and be like, you shouldn't have done this or, well, you just wasted all that time. And who are, and then it goes into who, who are you doing this for? And, oh my God, you're seeking the approval of others again. And, and so, so I, I just like, there's levels of shame that I subject myself to because of this perfectionism. And I think, you know, the perfectionism didn't come from my childhood. I wasn't, my parents didn't say you had to be perfect. It was quite the opposite. There wasn't really, I mean, life was very busy. So I didn't have that to measure up to necessarily. I think it came later in life for me 
because I had shame over not doing so well the first half of my life. And so now I got to push to do so much better. And then, you know, social media came in and that, you know, society in general, but, you know, social media came in and definitely lended a hand in, dude, are you even a spiritual person? Like, are you doing these things? Like, you know, and, and, and so it was the shame just kind of piled on after that, that, that seeking some kind of perfectionism and measuring up to what the crowd was doing. And you see, you go through this roller coaster and now I'm in a place where that's all bullshit. So, so yeah, so I'm down quite a few notches of that, that shame I feel. Well, and it's interesting because for, for you and I, we grew up in such a different time than kids these days. Mm-hmm before your, your circle of comparison was very small. Uh, now it's huge. Yeah. Right. Like instead of, instead of a couple of dozen people to compare yourself to, you have millions now with social media and, you know, not everything is private and you have these influencers, right? So I think that the opportunity to feel shame has increased, you know, with social media and, you know, there was plenty of opportunity for shame when we were kids too, but yeah, it's just like everything with social media, it's amplified. So, and you're right. It's all bullshit. Yeah. But we know that because we're, we have a certain level of awareness now, Mm -hmm. but it took us time to get here there's still a lot of people out there that don't understand that it's all bullshit. And they're really taking this, really taking it to heart and, and just experiencing life, like living in the shame bucket. Yes. Yes. Well, I think, you know, shame touches everybody. Shame is, well, for me, I think probably the worst, the worst emotion because that affects, you know, like your, how you think you measure up and then your belonging. They're not going to like me. What is the, the Carrie movie? They're all going to laugh at you. Like, you know, shame comes from embarrassment. What else? Embarrassment, inadequacy, because I have my own experience of shame. And so I'm not necessarily thinking about this is where it comes from. And you know, from all of these different other emotions, which is just inadequate humiliation. You know what? That's the one that I was looking for humiliation. That's, I definitely remember that from childhood. Mm. Nobody wants to be humiliated by their parent. Nobody wants to be embarrassed by their parent. All of those things. I think that they fill your bucket up pretty fast your toxic bucket you know and you have to carry that load of shame around with you this this fear of being embarrassed like nobody wants to be embarrassed and I was thinking about it and it was a couple years ago I was thinking about wow people I wonder if people are just give any thought to I need to really monitor myself because at any time somebody could get me tripping on my face or or doing something stupid or making some stupid mistake on video and I could go viral. 
just going to the grocery store. You know, I wonder if people ever think about that, like, oh, I got to be careful because they're afraid of being caught on camera or being caught on tape because everything is. Everything is videoed, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You can't get away with anything. So it makes me wonder if that's a thing for people. Your fear of having that shame or, or carrying that shame, having that shame put into your bucket is heavy. And it's enough to stop people. Yeah. And you stop you from doing things. Yeah. Just the fear alone. Stop you from doing things that you know you can't do perfectly. Yep. Yeah. Stop you from completing a project that you've fucked up because you didn't stop when you were satisfied with it. Stop you from, you know, putting yourself out there and creating a business that can really Mm -hmm. help people. Yeah. You know, and society is just this one big, giant horde of insecurity. Yeah, it is. It's the nature of society is insecurity. There's not a lot of inviting in or compassion, so to speak. And even in, in the language of, you know, some people, some spiritual people calling out this or that, like, there's not a lot of inviting in there's, there's a lot of humiliation. There's a lot of fuck you sit down. Um, you know, and so the shame is just being spread around Mm -hmm. and it's deep. So anywhere that, that you can mitigate it a little bit, your personal shame, like what you carry, what you shame yourself with is going to help like start there. And it's interesting. I've been working with this a lot this month. I'm actually doing a challenge with one of my friends and this past week was dealing with a lot of guilt and shame. Mm -hmm. And so I really had to sit and kind of unpack some things and where my guilt and my shame comes from. And I don't want to say the remedy, but I don't have a better word for it right Mm now, uh, was compassion. And can you bring compassion to yourself for those things? Mm -hmm. And it was a very interesting Uh, practice to do because I realized it is so easy for me to shame, criticize, guilt myself. Mm -hmm. Like I'm very, very comfortable in those emotions for as uncomfortable as I am in them. I'm also very comfortable because I've been living in that realm for so long and survival. Right. Mm -hmm. And for me, for me, like being in survival mode for so long has brought up a lot of shame and guilt for me. So I've been in that place for so long. Like I got this, I'm comfortable. Like this is, that's the house you built. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so when it was time to bring compassion to myself and loving kindness, I freaked the fuck out. I was like, wait a minute. Like I was uncomfortable doing that. And it was also very interesting because my word this year is soft, right? So Mm. it was an opportunity to be soft with myself and it was hard. Mm -hmm. And so then I just, I had to step back and and I spent the last few days really, really like looking at that and sitting with the fact that it is challenging for me to give compassion and loving kindness to myself. But I want to be a person out in the world that does that for other people. Well, isn't that 
a little bit of a paradox because if I can't give it to myself, how can I truly give that to other people? Yeah. If you don't know what that feels like for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, and I think a lot of people are in that are in the same, I'm not, I know this, I am not the only person in that boat. No, of course not. But let me ask you this because you're comfortable in, in that space with yourself being critical and shaming. And does that spill out? It does. Does that spill out to, to other people? Spills out to critical to be to other people. And yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what, what I'm present to is like where I see it with me and my daughter and how I, I have this idea in my head of the parent that I want to be and what I want her to experience, what I don't want her to experience. And I have to be very honest with myself and, and tell myself I'm doing those things to her and I hate it. And then that puts me in to guilt and shame Mm -hmm. and criticism of myself that I am now doing that. So it's a vicious spiral. It's a vicious spiral. And so, but the beauty of it is, and this is, we like to talk about this too. The beauty of it is that now I'm aware, Mm -hmm. like now I know that I'm doing it. So now I'm, I can observe myself in this place. And now I have the ability to make a different choice Mm -hmm. only because I'm aware of it. And I can, I can actually observe it. And now I can choose differently. Now I can work the muscle of compassion and loving kindness and build that, you know, build that up in myself. So then eventually what's going to start to spill out of me is the loving kindness and compassion. Cause you won't be, you won't be judging in the same way. Yeah. Right. I went through a period of time where I was just judgy McJudgerson and there were other factors that played into that just mainly where I was in my life, like dark night of my soul for sure. And it was just a time in, in, in our relationship where he was also, you know, my, my husband was also the same. So we were playing off of each other. And I noticed that, you know, and I might not have ever said anything to anybody or, you know, did openly judge them or, you know, spoke the words, but it was happening in my mind. And it changed my attitudes towards other people. And I really had to, you know, when I noticed that that was happening and, and how much I, how much it was really depleting my energy, and how I didn't want to feel that way anymore. I really had to look at myself and like, wow, girl, you are not perfect. <laughs> like you are so not perfect. You are literally going through your, your dark night right now. And you are a mess. And instead of being better at tidying up your mess. You're just letting your mess spill out mm-hmm. into everybody else. If I let that go. And then it, it's interesting because everything naturally got better. It was interesting to see which friendships kind of like eh, faded off, which friendships got stronger because my attitude and how I was judging things was, was so different changed so different how I, but it was because I was different. It wasn't because I was really doing anything different in how I related to people. It was just my inner dialogue had changed and my attitudes had changed. 
So it was amazing to see how much around me changed when I did that. And I let go of shame. Shame was kind of like, you know, health shaming people, not verbally, not, you know, speaking anything. Although I'm sure I have, I'm sure I have used, you know, some microaggressions um, at some point, but I would think, oh, well, that person, you know, she's got all the time in the world. I don't know why she doesn't, you know, take more time for, to spend on her own health, things like that, you know, just, just inner thoughts. I would never say that to somebody, but that's still, that's health shaming. And I see that happen all of the time. I hear it happen in, on social media. I hear it happen in reels, just all the, all the things. And it bothers me so much. I hate watch those videos and I hate that I hate watch those videos, but I also feel like, no, this is still going on. And, and in some way I would like to be a part of the change in changing that, even if that's just in my own life and with my circle, you know, whoever is in my orbit, I want to do better. And I want to give that perspective to other people who I talk to who health shame people. Oh yeah. And say, oh yeah. No, no, no. Wait a minute. And just give a different perspective so that so that they can clear that up. Because a lot I see, you know, especially people who I talk to one-on-one, I, I see that that's certainly not what their intention is, but that's what they've been taught. That's the vernacular that 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 they're just used to using. And they're making assumptions because that's what we all do that are just wrong because they don't have this, these other perspectives. Does all of that make sense? That it, it does. And, you know, you touch on something that's personal to me. And what I see a lot of is the, the comparison between working moms and stay-at-home moms. Mm-hmm. And if you're a stay-at-home mom, then there's no reason that you don't have a, a good diet, a workout, like you're home. Yeah. No, you're, you're, you're home. You don't, yeah. You right, work from home. You have all, you have, you don't work. <laughs> right. 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 You don't work. And you know, you have all of this time and, and why it, it drives me nuts because it's gross. And then, right. Like, well, you're a working mom, so you need to have better time management and you, that's your choice to go work. So you got to figure it out, girlfriend. And it's like, wait, what? No. And so I feel you on this health shaming and looking at somebody, uh, you know, we've had the conversation about like food, right? So Mm. you live here. So you should like, what do you mean? You don't have an organic whole food diet. Like you live here, you're this way, you're this type of person. So what do you mean you don't have it all together? Yeah. Full body. I like full body reaction. You are are having a very visceral reaction to all of this right now. It drives me nuts. And it's so gross, like Mm -hmm. gross. And no wonder why we are the way that we are in this society. Like, come on. Get the picture of reality that we look like isn't the actual reality. And, you know, when we don't take into account just speaking in the realm of food and um, when I was 
really deep into the health coaching and deep into the food and detox and, and all of those things, I took into consideration people who lived in food deserts. Like there are people who live in cities who do not have access to the organic farmer that I do. That's literally two miles down the road and who, and who does pick up every, every Saturday. So I, I have, I'm privileged. I'm blessed. I'm lucky to have access to those things. And there are people who just don't. And that is so sad. And it used to, I, I used to get really upset by it. Because I know the importance of food. I know how important like sitting around a table and having a meal and being able to, to nurture yourself and care for yourself and care for your kids is. But then to pile on also moms who are working three jobs just to make ends meet and they live in the city and they live in a food desert and all of the other things happening, they don't have time to cook either. Right. Would, I, would you? I, no. Like I would be, are you kidding? You know, so, so there's this picture of the perfect mom and everybody's supposed to fit into this or the perfect person. And you, you know, you, by now you should know, I heard, just heard somebody say, well, by now you should know you should eat organic and you should know. Yeah. You should know, tell that to the person who doesn't have access to organic food because they, they either, it's just either not in their area and they don't, they lack the transportation to drive out into the country to get it. Or they can't afford it because let's be honest, it's expensive to eat organic. It's fucking expensive to be a vegetarian. It's even more expensive to be a vegan because nut cheese is apparently so much more expensive to make than, you know, milk cheese, (laughs) dairy cheese. So it's like, here's your $8, you know, the five ounce package of it's ridiculous. So, so a lot of that health shaming around food and these coaches talking about that. And you got to go vegan. If you, you know, if you're smart for your health or whatever, like, don't even bring that in. That's shaming to me. And you're shaming people who have no control over it. And then what I see, right. Is, well, if you want it bad enough, you'll, you'll figure out a way. And I see that, I see that message in a lot of different things, not. Well, well I see that message in coaching. Yes. Right. Take so my coaching you, program. You'll figure if, if they, you'll, if, you'll figure it out. You'll figure it out. I, Fuck I saw you. it in, I saw it in network marketing. Mm-hmm. I see it in, in the coaching space. I see it everywhere. Yeah. And that's just, I don't even know that I have the proper word for it right now. But- I have two. fuck off. Those are literally my two words about all of yes. that. I have seen so much of that. If it, if they can't afford your program, then they're not your people. Fuck off. If they can't afford a nutritionist, then I guess their health, I guess their health really isn't that important to them. I'm not making this stuff up either. Like we're not making this stuff. This is legit. Just just go out into the world and start paying attention to the message, like the messaging that's being given. And Mm -hmm. what I find is that those messages are just keeping people in this shame cycle. Mm-hmm. And because then you have the mom that is working three jobs and she want and listen, I think the majority of people, because it's also life. So you're going to have outliers for everything, mm-hmm. but the majority of people, when they become parents, they want to give their children the best. 
-hmm. They have this idea in their mind of who they want to be, what they want to do, what they want to give. I will tell you, I was one of those people that when I was pregnant, I'm like, oh, I'm making all of my baby food. I am only having organic. How did that work out for you? Uh, It lasted approximately three seconds. You know, I will say like when she was a baby, just getting into solid food, like I, I did make my own, I had a baby bullet. Like I loved it. It was so fun. You go. Right. And then I don't know, life fucking happened. And I'm just going to drive myself nuts if I don't give something up. So (laughs) buy the fucking beech nut jarred food. Mm -hmm. Like it's going to be okay. Right. Yes. And I would love for my child to have this robust appetite and, and eating all the, you know, all the colors of the rainbow. Like, I'd love that. My kid wants French fries and white rice every night. Like my son had his first French fry at like, I don't know, seven months. I think he was sucking all all the salt off it. I'm like, out of boy, just like mommy here, dip it in this here, try it in this milkshake. It's even better. (laughs) Right. Do you want a frosty with that? And I still shame myself because my child is, I have created, and this is what I keep telling myself, which is partially true. I've created this in my child and I feel guilt and shame that I'm not a better mother and I'm somehow doing all of this damage to her and what, you know, what's going to happen to her. Am I going to make her sick? And who's going to see me? Yeah. Who's going to find me out. And my kid has a sweet Mm -hmm. tooth, right? She loves candy. Well, so fucking do I. The shame and the guilt that, that, and, and also because I have to admit that I had those thoughts about other people. Mm -hmm. What do you mean? And then I became a mom. Becoming a mother has been the most humbling experience of my entire life. And I am, I am so sorry. Uh, This is my blanket statement to all of women and parents (laughs) in the world. I am so sorry for all of the judgment that I placed on you. (laughs) I am, when you want to talk about karma, it's happening. So I'm so sorry. I get it now. I get it now. I get it. This podcast is going to turn into an apology tour. And that's okay. Let's just do it. Let's just get it all out there. I'm so sorry. I made these assumptions. I'm so sorry. I judged you. Yes. Yes. Blanket statement for all of the people who I have shamed indirectly or directly in any way. (laughs) I, I genuinely wholeheartedly apologize. And I have eaten a lot of crow lately. So you enjoy that crow. It keeps coming. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Gosh. Always served the same way too cold. Oh, well, let's talk about microaggressions because I feel like those are things that a lot of people let go of like, well, that's not what I meant. Or I was just trying to be, or, or I've heard people say that there are certain things that I think you can say. And I have said this too. Um, I had a friend who knew she was struggling with her weight. This was a long time ago, but I still remember it. I remember it because after I said it, I was like, I should not have said that. And I did not mean, I did not intend for it to be meant in any way, but that, and I did find out later that she did feel shame. Like I, I caused her to feel shame 
because it made her feel like I, I was acknowledging her weight and she thought that I was ashamed to be with her, that I felt ashamed to be with her because of her weight. And because and it was all over, we were going to go out to lunch and we were deciding where to go. I can go anywhere. Like, give me all the meat and the fat, whatever. And I knew she was eating healthy. And I said, we can go somewhere where you can get us a, a good salad. And she took that as I'm embarrassed to be with her and that she should be eating a salad or that I think she should be eating a salad. And then that made her feel very insecure. So I caused right. that. And that wasn't necessarily a microaggression, but people do say things like that aggressively. And mm-hmm. even though my intention was good, I still hurt her. So it's better not to say anything at all and let that person make the decision. And if that person decides, let's go get burgers, you shut the fuck up. Cause that's that person's decision. Well, and I, like, I had found myself in a situation where I, you know, a, a person in my life was, was trying to eat healthy, mm-hmm. was trying to get their health back on track. And I just kept saying like, I support, I support whatever you want to do. And then we would go out and it was like, well, do we go, do we eat healthy or like, do we go get the pizza? And I'm like, listen, I'll do whatever. And I'm like, but are you sure you want to do that? Because you keep saying that you want to eat healthy and, and focus on your, your health. So are you, but you're telling me now you want to go get the pizza and I'm happy to get the pizza. Cause like, I fucking love pizza. I'm never going to say no, but like, I want to support you and what you're trying to do. And so I don't know what to do. <laughs> Frozen. <laughs> I, I did it right. Like I didn't know, I didn't know what to do because I'm like, I want to support what's important to you. Mm -hmm. And I'm getting to, I'm getting to messages. And and so if I say no, like, let's go eat the healthy food. I don't, right. Like, I don't want that to be taken as you're not allowed to eat the, right. Like Mm -hmm. I want to be supportive. Mm -hmm. And then we'd inevitably get, get the pizza and gorge. And it was glorious. We would each then have our own internal dialogue going, well, should I have, should I really have said no? And like made them stick to like their That's healthy not your diet. Job. And, right. But, and then they would be like, Oh, we shouldn't have done that. And I'm like, like, it's just such an interesting thing because I'm taking shit on. And I'm like, and also being cognizant of wanting to support somebody, but not wanting to hurt them. And, and just being aware of the things that we say, right? Like the little jokes. Oh, it's just kidding. Well, where are you? Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Where are you? Yeah. Because yep. I was always taught that there's a little bit of truth in all of the jokes. I've always struggled with body shame, body dysmorphia. But there was a time when when I was just a little bit bigger and, and I was struggling with with my weight, quote unquote weight. I mean, we're not talking, it just goes to show that everybody, no matter what your size struggles in some way, some way, in some way. And I was struggling with that. I was struggling with being, you know, 40. I was struggling with just on the physical level, struggling with being 40, struggling with getting older, struggling with, with, with having just a little bit of a belly, not really people wouldn't because friends would look at me and go, what the fuck are you talking about? And I'm like, right. It's all on me. I get it. It's all on me. Occasionally there was, you know, 
a moment where the hubs would just put a hand on my belly and just give it a little jiggle and he would smile. That's a fucking, that to me is a microaggression. I have forgiven him since he has <laughs> touched me there again and jiggle and you're done. Yeah. <laughs> but that to me was a microaggression. That is a microaggression doing something like that, like rubbing. And so for children doing that to a child, especially, a, a I don't want to say, you know what? Redacted. I don't want to say, especially a girl. I don't want to say that anymore. Any child, whatever gender, any kind of microaggression towards their health, what they're eating, what they look like, little belly can be a microaggression that can cause some kind of shame, some kind of health shame in them. And because I felt that when he did that, I was like, oh my God, I'm so shameful. Like I've got this belly and like all of these things. And I'm like, why are you being so aggressive to me? I mean, he wasn't but that was how I was receiving it. And so I'm very super hypervigilant about those microaggressions and catching them. And so, and it's funny because if somebody did that to me, I would not take that as a microaggression. No, I, I wouldn't take that. How would you take that? I kind of laugh about it because it, because it's not a thing for me. Okay. So you see, it's a, that was a thing. It, it was a, yeah. yeah so it doesn't, it, yeah. it's not a thing to me, yeah. but, but you I don't know. Heard- if it's a thing right. for somebody else. Correct. Yes. Correct. And so, but I will tell you that just a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting next to, um, sitting next to my daughter at dinner and she lifts up her shirt and she goes, I'm fat mama. And I'm like, uh, what? And I had to compose myself because I was so upset because I don't talk about my weight around mm-hmm. her. There are others in uh, her life that do talk about their weight I don't talk about that because that's not something that I want to put in her mind because yeah. I think it's bullshit. Um, and at, and it happened at five and a half, she lifted up her shirt and looked at her belly and said she was fat. And I'm like, what do I do with this? Because that is absolutely the farthest thing from the truth. And this is not a road that I want her to go down because mm-hmm. I... I know that road mm-hmm. and it's not, it's, it's not even a road that she needs to go down. Right. So like, where is this coming from? Who are you hearing this from? Like, I want to take them out. Just know, like you are beautiful from the inside out. And like, it's one thing to focus on your health. Right. And all that goes with health and then focusing on how you look and whether you're fat or not, like they're mm-hmm. two different conversations. It broke my heart in that moment because we're starting to get into real shit right now. And it broke my heart that at this young of an age, this is a conversation. She might not even know what she's saying, No, but the, but the words are there and the yeah. message is there. Yeah. So now it's there. So now yeah. it has to be spoken about. And you know, there was, I just saw, um, I just saw this person on Facebook and I think he has for me in the very little that I, that I've been following him. I think he has a really great message and, um, he kind of calls out videos of people, like people posting videos of other people at the gym and shaming them. What did you send me this guy? What was his, yeah, what was his handle? His, it was interesting. His name is Joey Swole. 
Joey Swole. Joey Swole. Yeah. And like he is, is he from he Jersey. Is, <laughs> that's a great question. <laughs> and he definitely like he is that bodybuilder type. And what I have liked about watching his videos is, you know, he'll he'll show the video and a lot of it's on TikTok. Yeah. Um, you know, like this person shouldn't even be at the gym. And so you shame people for being overweight and then you shame them for going to the gym and trying to take better care of themselves. And what, well, the, what place do the, what place do people have if no matter what they do, they are shamed for what they do. And, and what I like about this guy is that he calls it out. Right. And he, he just gives a lot of love to these people that are making the the trip to the gym making, and saying, yeah get right and, and, but that's which takes a lot I'm looking at yes. Mr. Swole currently right now I just pulled up Mr. Swole he's swole he yes he's yes. very swole yes he is yes uh but I I just like his message of mind your own business stop judging and shaming these mm-hmm. people at the gym and for all of you people who have ever felt shamed Mm-hmm. for for being who you are going to the gym there is a place for you and keep going and mm-hmm. and it it's just and well, it's, I, well I was going to say you know it's interesting that planet fitness they profess to be the every person's gym and they have rules where they it, it pretty much discludes the swole the swollen gym rats of the world uh, in that they can't, like there are rules, like there's no grunting, there's no dropping barbells, there's no, you cannot go in there with a gallon full of water. Um, And they make it so that the atmosphere is more accessible to average people, every everyday people who are actually in there and, and they want a safe environment to, you know, do their exercise. They want it so that they're more welcoming. And that in and of itself is a microaggression against the bodybuilders who now listen, there's well, they're always, made, listen, there, there's, there's have you been always, I, I have, right. Yeah. But then there are also people who are there just to work out and yeah. they're not, yeah. they're not, they're not grunting to make people uncomfortable. Like, yeah. When you're lifting fucking 200 pounds, if you're not grunting, like, oh my gosh, like breathe. Right. But like that in and of itself, that's just as bad. There's, there's different levels of the grunting. And like, I know, so my son works at a gym currently. So I see things, hear things all of the time from the perspective of, you know, the manager (laughs) and they don't, they're, they don't, they're not intentionally saying you can't come here. They're just saying, these are, these are our rules and we do it so that, you know, kids can come in here too. And, and so that there's, there is a level of, of bodybuilder who are, they are aggressive when they go in there, they are aggressive. And so they're just trying to minimize that, but, but I've been into planet fitness and there's plenty of just serious bodybuilders and serious people who are seriously working out in there. So it's not like they're, they're not including or not, it's not an aggressive thing it's to make that space you know just more comfortable for everyday people and senior citizens they have a lot of senior citizens that go in there that probably wouldn't go to the other gym in our town 
because the other gym in our town is very hardcore with a lot of grunting, a lot of like aggressive grunting. I don't think it's aggressive. I don't think that's a microaggression towards those people because there's a lot of gyms. I mean, there are a lot of gyms. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's that culty place too. What is that culty place name? I have no Orange Theory. Orange Theory? I've never been. At CrossFit? I think CrossFit's very culty too. Sorry, sorry. I'm so sorry. I also am not active in that way. So CrossFit <laughs> scares me. So I, I stay away. CrossFit's scary to me. I'm like, I'll just do my Pilates and my yoga. And oh, right. Back to the shaming. You know, I if I'm gonna chop up his name, um uh Plutchker, Plutchker's wheel, Plutchker's oh. wheel. Cause I'm trying to remember it. So basically there's this wheel Pluchik. and it's kind of Pluchik. Plu- there, yeah, Pluchik. Pluchik. It's, it's like the color wheel. And so like the color wheel, you start off with the primary colors and then, and then it moves out into all of the other colors that these primary colors make when they're combined together. And his wheel is, is the same concept except with emotion. And I love looking at that wheel. It's just so interesting to me. And so shame is actually a secondary emotion. And that that secondary emotion is caused by fear and sadness. It makes so much sense to me when when, when identified in that way. Like sadness, and then they're going to find me out fear that I'm going to get found out. I'm not going to belong anymore. Mm-hmm. I will lose my place in society. They're going to laugh at me. I'm going to get judged. This is humiliating. I'm going to be embarrassed. And then they're going to laugh at me and then I won't be accepted. Or, you know, you have sadness over something that you think you did that you should be ashamed of. And shame is so different from guilt because guilt is no, no, you bitch, you did something. Mm-hmm you did something and you should be ashamed or you should feel ashamed in some way. Shame is just, it could be, you could feel ashamed for something that you had no control over and that you didn't do rape victims. You had mentioned that before when we first discussed this topic, rape victims, people, abuse Abuse. survivors, um, you know, post-traumatic people who, who, suffer a lot of people who suffer from PTSD have shame that over things that were beyond their control. Um, and I mean, I know that I have a lot of the shame that I felt that I had to contend with later on in life was, was over things that I couldn't control or that I should not have felt shame over in the first place, but like you create this box in your mind. And the other thing that was interesting is if you cross, like if you go straight across on that um, wheel of emotions, the opposite of shame is pride, but pride is, is a combination of anger and joy. And I was like, holy shit, that makes so much sense. Because to like in my own life, I can recognize where that pride was like, like, oh my God, I did it. See you fuckers. I did it. Like, like, oh my Mm -hmm. God, that's so true. And, and it's interesting, right? So I, I didn't know of this blue chicks wheel of emotions 
And when I started to look at it, I was fascinated by it. And then like we had had the conversation about pride being like part anger. Well, I tell my kid, I'm proud of her all the time. Is that the right word Joy to be, to be using because the, on the joy end of the scale, right? Right. And, and, and so it's just, it's interesting now to, to understand emotions a little bit more and to kind of sit back and go, what's proper use of these words in the terminology? And do we really understand it? Or are we just, does this really apply to me? This really apply? Where am I on the scale of, you know, we we've talked about this all the time. Where am I on the scale between empathy and spite? Yeah. yeah. So it, it, it was really interesting. And then pride is also one of those things that takes people out mm-hmm. like their, their pride, people will die for pride or over pride. Yeah. Right. Like they will, they will die on that mountain cross stone. It is. Yeah. It's a cross. Oh no, it's a cross and you nail yourself to it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so it's just really interesting to, to understand these emotions more. And when you said shame was the combination of fear and sadness right away, immediately made total sense. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it's like the clouds open up a little bit. You're like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yes. And you give yes. weight, you give weight to to things that you shouldn't give weight to or that you really don't need to give weight to. Like I had given weight to the to certain decisions that I had that I made when I wasn't in the healthiest mindset. And so I had to forgive myself for that, like bring a little bit of compassion in there. Like that was a long time ago. Why are you still holding on to that? You're not the same person. You have changed. You weren't healthy. You didn't have support. You didn't have this. You didn't have that. You were doing the best you can. You were just trying to survive. Are those things really that bad? No. Then why are we holding on to that shame? Who is going to shame you for those things? Nobody. Wait, but you are. But you are. But you are. Nobody is going to shame you for any of those things. Why are you? still giving weight to that? Why are you still beating yourself up over that? So I had to bring the compassion in and then the forgiveness. Like, can I forgive myself for this? Should I forgive myself for this? Was that really a bad thing? Like, no, that wasn't. Why do you need to forgive? You know, so it's this whole, I have, these are the conversations that happen in my head all of the time. It's all part of changing the inner dialogue. You're like changing the conversation. You're asking questions. Is that the truth? Mm -hmm. Like, no. Would you shame somebody else for, for the thing that you're shaming yourself for? No, I wouldn't. Then what is your deal, dude? I probably would not do that. And if I am doing it and that, and this is something that I've had to look at myself for. And if I'm doing it to another person, I have to turn that around and look at myself. So where do I feel shame in myself that I am then turning it on? Like, I feel that in myself. Mm-hmm. And instead of healing that part of myself, I'm just, proje- I'm fucking projecting everywhere. Right. And then I, and then I have Jen in my mind going, it's you, it's you. That's what I, I'm going to be known for. Like this is the legacy I leave behind is literally, you're not special. It's all on you. 
and making people cry. We need swag. We need swag that says you're not special. What is the biggest thing that causes shame for you? Inner shame. Inner shame. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing. Mm-hmm. Oof, that's a great question. Um, my reactivity. Okay. My lack of being able, yes. Mm -hmm. My lack of being able to control my emotions Mm -hmm. and my reactions. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Hmm. So I've been giving that thought. Are you open to sharing? I am vulnerability. And it makes me so sad. It makes me so sad. And I, and I preach, you know, and, and I, I preach to people how vulnerability is a superpower, but vulnerability for me personally, I have a very different experience of it. I know it. I see it. I see the big picture. I understand what it does, what it can do for you and that it is a superpower. And that once you step into that, then poof, you're, you know, you've become something new um, and you've taken a certain level of, of your power back. I know that I see that. And there have been small instances when I have taken control back by stepping into my vulnerability, but it is the hardest thing I would rather I would rather drag my teeth across cement than to be vulnerable. And that makes me very sad. And that makes me feel very shameful. That's, that's a huge challenge for me. Yeah. Huge challenge. Vulnerability. And I know where it comes from. It's, it's in my family. It's in my family. Oh yeah. My grandmother, my grandmother, I mean, I don't know how many years she went without telling us that she had Parkinson's because it was a vulnerability. She didn't want anyone to to look at her that way. Knowing what I know now, like in, in, and she might not have recognized this. I mean, she was ashamed in some way of having Parkinson's. And that because that made her look vulnerable and she had always been everybody's rock. She was everybody's rock. She was a 911 dispatch operator. She was a single mom. She was really huge in the church. Everybody came to her. She always had every, she always had tea going because everyone would come to her. So she was the rock. And if she was vulnerable, then people would look at her in that way. She wouldn't be everybody's rock anymore. I'm literally playing out the same scenario in my life. Confessions on the healing lifestyle. Right. Confessions. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that because what I, what I hear in your story and what I, you know, what I have come to learn about you through our time together is that you are other people's rock. Everybody Mm -hmm. comes to you. Everybody looks to you. And so to, to hear what you just shared, mm. it makes total sense yeah. why you are 
right? Why you are the way you are and why you're living. And I don't want to be, I don't want to be people's rock. When people say you are my rock, I'm like, Oh my God, I would rather have hot pokers in my eyeball eye sockets right now. Like I don't want to be anybody's rock. I want people to be their own rock. Like, so all of that makes the entire situation so much more challenging to, I don't even know if I'll ever get to the center of the onion, but like when I finally get through some of those inner layers, it's going to be huge for me in, in releasing shame. And I keep writing it in my journal, eradicate shame, eradicate shame. And, and I feel like if I, if I can eradicate that, or if I can mitigate that one piece, that vulnerable, then I can, that will be huge in me releasing shame in general. So we all have something. We all have, we all something. have something and you can only work on one thing at a time. One thing at a time. Yeah. We, we can't manage working on so much. I think that's also, you know, part of the, why we call it a lifestyle and not a journey is because a journey indicates that there is some end <laughs> in sight and there fucking isn't. No, nope. like there isn't. It's you just keep peeling, like you just yeah. keep peeling and crying, <laughs> peeling your, I mean, you are just one. That's why they use onion as an analogy because it's not pleasant. <laughs> it's not always pleasant, you know, mm-hmm. but then again, I can't cook without onions. Like everybody's got onions. Onions got their own flavor profile that like, you know, just magically make dishes beautiful. So you stick with it. And I find like, as, as I'm peeling these layers, that's what's allowing me to have more compassion for people Mm -hmm. and myself. That's it for us. Wash your tutu. Peace out, Cub Scouts. Peace out, Cub Scouts.